The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome in Monday edition of New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski, right here after yet another New York football giant win. The Giants off of their bye week in a game that had, let's be real, let down, written all over it against the worst team in the NFL, the now 1-7-1 Houston Texans. It's not one for style points. It was not a game that was necessarily easy on the eyes. But the Giants find a way to win. Simple as that. A team that a year ago and two years ago and three years ago and four years ago would find a way to lose this sort of game. The Giants do just enough offensively to find a way to win this game. And look. It was not easy by any stretch of the imagination. First half of this game was just flat out ugly from an offensive standpoint. They had the one touchdown the first quarter. They get shut out in the second quarter. It's a 7-3 game. And you're wondering, can the Giants go and get anything going from an offensive perspective? And sometimes it just takes one play. That can kind of jumpstart you. That can kind of get you going. That can be the difference in many ways from winning a game and from losing a game. And there's no doubt the 54-yard Darius Slayton touchdown on a beautiful scramble, creative play from Daniel Jones was exactly what the New York Giants needed. Look, 
They don't have, and we've talked about this many, many times, they don't have the game breakers that the top teams in the NFL have at their disposal. They don't have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They don't have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So those those sort of plays are going to come few and far between. But when they are there, you've got to capitalize. Slayton, to his credit, makes a big play. The Giants end up scoring a touchdown. And then the other story in this game from an offensive standpoint is Saquon Barkley. And this game, to me, is exactly the sort of game we have not seen from Saquon Barkley for a good chunk of his giant career. We have always seen with Saquon the game-breaking ability, the ability to turn on a dime, take a five-yard screen pass, 90 yards for a touchdown. We know there's that sort of talent. The games in which, though, you take on the load, you take on the brunt of the work, you take a boatload of carries and say, hey, fellas, I don't care if we're going up against the worst rushing defense in the NFL. I got you. You could give it to me 30-plus times, and I am going to be ready to rock and roll. Well, that's what Saquon Barkley did today. 35 carries, 152 yards. That is a whole lot of work for Saquon Barkley. Whole lot of work for Saquon. Is that the sort of game that he could have had a year ago? Of course not. Not coming back off the ACL surgery. It wasn't even the sort of game that Saquon was having early in his giant career. He kind of took what the defense was giving him. He kept grinding out runs, grinding out runs, grinding out runs. He only had the one long one for 27 yards, but he finds his way into the end zone, which, by the way, was rather significant to some because our friends over at FanDuel put together a beautiful uh, boost. I hope you guys took advantage. Giants to win, Barkley to score a touchdown. Like, I had no desire to have the Giants-Texans game as a part of my board. I'm scrolling through FanDuel right before the start of the games, and I'm like, okay, Giants to win? Saquon to score? Then they're like plus 220. I said, I have some fun with that. I don't want to lay four and a half. I don't want to play the Giants on the money line, but if I'm going to get them at plus 220, combined with a Saquon touchdown, that sounds far more appetizing to me. And that's exactly what it was. It was a uh, thing of beauty for our wallets, at least. Maybe not for the Giants, definitely not for Brian Dable, who once again shows you he has exactly what you were looking for from a New York Giants coaching standpoint. Remember at the beginning of the year, he was giving it to Daniel Jones after he threw that interception in Tennessee against the Titans? Well, in this game, he comes storming, 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 giving all sorts of the business to offensive linemen left and right down the sideline. Like, fan-freaking-tastic. That's accountability. That, to me, is a guy you want coaching your football team. Costly penalty? Not on my watch. Now, if there's a downside to this game, Kenny Galladay continues to be an absolute embarrassment. I mean... Uh, Kenny Galladay, as we have said countless times, is stealing, stealing, stealing money from the New York Giants. Comes back. We haven't seen him in weeks. Dropping passes left and right. But the Giants force a couple of turnovers. Daniel Jones plays a clean game. Barkley does his thing. And now they're 7-2. And, and again, they should be 8-2. You're telling me the Detroit Lions are going to come in here and win their third straight game? I find that hard to believe. That's what this giant coaching staff, this season, this team has kind of shown you. They are going to take care of business. 
This was a game they did exactly that. 24 to 16 over the Houston Texans. Good day if you're a Giant fan. The Cowboys end up losing to the Green Bay Packers. Mike McCarthy not running the ball on third down. What in God's name are you doing? Uh, and how about McCarthy spiking a headset? I mean, how many times are you going to see that replayed again and again and again? So you gain a game on the Dallas Cowboys, and we move that much closer to what is going to be a phenomenal stage on Thanksgiving. The Giants going into Dallas to take on the Cowboys. When they right mind felt at the beginning of the year, that would be one of the most appetizing games that the NFL has to offer from a primetime perspective. But I got news for you. It most certainly is. Giants-Cowboys in about eh, less than two weeks. That, that gets my juices flowing. Most certainly gets my juices flowing. So job well done by the Giants. You know what today showed you? And we'll do our run through the NFL a little bit later on. If you're a Jeff fan, feed up, enjoying the day, relaxing, little red zone, Giants, uh, Sunday ticket, whatever your fancy may be on a football Sunday. All of the above, for that matter, or none of the above. I don't know. You got to love the fact that the Buffalo Bills, after losing to the Jets, play Josh Allen, have a monstrous lead against the Minnesota Vikings, and yuck it up. And they yuck it up in dramatic fashion. I mean, Josh Allen fumbling after the stop on Kirk Cousins, then losing the game in overtime. Justin Jefferson with an insane play. The Vikings, I don't know how they continue to do it week after week after week. But what it has shown you with Buffalo is that they're a very talented team. They have a stud of a quarterback. But they got a front runner in them. There's no getting around that. When the game's close, Buffalo over the last two years has lost. Most of those games. Usually when Buffalo wins, they beat the living daylights out of you. So it just kind of shows you, number one, if you can hang with the Bills, they might find a way to screw it up at the end of the game. That's number one. And now I think we have to acknowledge the AFCs is not a foregone conclusion. And we kind of felt that way last week after the Jets beat them. But you have to feel that that much more after what you saw on Sunday. Bills lose. The Dolphins basically torch the Cleveland Browns. I'm still giddy. I think Tua just threw another touchdown. I think everybody's dancing down in South Florida. They're 7-3. and And if the Jets can slay the beast and finally find a way to beat the New England Patriots, well, then all of a sudden the Jets would be in 7-3. and And the Jets have the tiebreaker at the moment over the Miami Dolphins, the game in which Skylar Thompson played a quarterback right around Columbus Day weekend. And we would be talking about the first place New York Jets. That's if they can win next Sunday. So if you thought the AFC East, eh, pipe dream, nonsense. Not after what I saw here on Sunday. That is a three-horse race. It could be a four-horse race, even though I don't believe in the Patriots at all if New England beats the Jets, because then guess what? New England's got two games heads up with the Buffalo Bills, so you'd have to put them in that conversation. That's the best division in all football. To me, it's not even close. The AFC East is the best division in all football. So, good day if you're a fan of the New York Jets, even with my team winning, because Buffalo loses again. Now, there is a negative to that. And we'll do a run through of the league a little bit later on, but this is probably going to not get the attention that it deserves because 
Listen, the NBA, and I say this all the time, when they play these games at noon on a Sunday, it's embarrassing. It's stupid. It makes absolutely no sense. It's like on Sunday at noon, I don't want to be bothered with the Knicks in game 12 of their season when I get 18 NFL Sundays. Play the games at night or don't play on Sunday. So that already is going to set me off when I see the Knicks are playing a noon start against the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know what's going to set me off even more? Giving up 145 damn points to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Hold on a second. With Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant shooting the basketball for OKC? Remember when the Knicks, two years ago, had an identity for playing defense at a pretty high level? They stink on defense right about now. They let SGA basically torch him for 37 points. A guy who, by the way, the Knicks could have drafted. They could have drafted him over Kevin Knox. Wrong. They could have drafted Mitchell over Neil Aquina. Wrong. You know, they continue to make the wrong choices. And this is why they're in the predicament that they're in, which is a road to nowhere. They're six and seven. They got a brutal West Coast trip coming up. I know Tibbs Watch is going to be front and center. People want him to play the younger players. I'm going to be on board with that. You're not going to hear me fight you on that. But some of these veterans on the team, like a guy like Evan Fournier, I'm sorry. He serves absolutely no purpose on this team. And don't tell me, oh, he has these games where he goes for 28 and hits like five or six threes. The guy's an absolute stiff. He does not play defense. He blocks a younger player from being on the court. He's an absolute waste. Let him go to a team that's competitive, trying to win a championship. Let him be the eighth man there. If you got to attach a pick, so freaking be it. Get him off my team. Please, Leon Rose, if you're listening, get Fournier off of my team. Said it Wednesday after they lost to the Nets. They're on a road to nowhere. But they're not bad. That's the thing. They're not bad enough for you to just completely check out on the season. But they're clearly not good enough where you know you're going to get a season. It's like, in many ways, it's, it's, it's purgatory. It's absolute purgatory. It's like that nowheresville. That's who the Knicks are. And the diehard Knicks fan or the delusional Knicks fan isn't going to want to hear that. But it's true. Where are they going as a franchise? In all honesty, you tell me, folks. Where are the Knicks going as a franchise? Giving up 145 points to Oklahoma City? Oh, baby, go get it. All right, we got a loaded show. Let's rip through some voicemails. These should be fun. 917-382-1151. I got a couple of thoughts, some quick hits on what we saw in Week 10 in the NFL. A lot of of random musings, as we say. But first, let's hear it. Voicemails. Away we go. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, voicemail time. 917-382-1151. Let's rip a couple. Let's let it off, Stefan. What's up, JJ? Ian from Connecticut. 
just finished watching the uh, insanity of the Vikings Bills game. Uh, Vikings ended up pulling it out in the end. But uh, I have a I have a Jet point I want to make. Now I've been watching the Jets for about ten years now, and I think next week's game against the Patriots is the biggest game they've played since they started watching them. If the Jets win next week, believe it or not, they'll be in first place in the AFC East at Thanksgiving, which is a sentence I think all of us Jets fans have signed up for at the beginning of the year. But if they lose next week and the Bills win, they will be in last place in the division. So I think it's fair to say this is the biggest game they've played in at least 10 years, at least since they played the past in the playoffs back way back when. But listen, if they win next week, I think they've pretty much given themselves a pretty doable path to the playoffs because they'll be at they'll be at seven wins and they still got a few. They got a game with the Jags. They got a game with the Lions. They got a game with the Bears. I'm not saying those are gimmies. Those are definitely games they should win, and that would that would put them at ten. I think ten's the magic number in the AFC. But if they lose, I just. I don't know if that's a hole they can climb out of because they still got to go on the road a few times. They still got to go to Buffalo. They still got to go to Minnesota. They still got to go to Seattle. So we'll see. But I'm definitely excited for next week. I'm a bit nervous. Very nervous, actually. They haven't beaten the Patriots since I was 12. But, you know, I, I got some hope. All right. I'll talk to you later. Ian, very good call. It is the biggest game that the Jets are playing in a long, long time. Now, they laid an egg the first time they played the Patriots. I think it's okay to admit that you kind of got what you expected. You got the Buffalo game. You probably didn't think you were going to win that. You lost the New England game. You probably thought you were going to beat New England. But you didn't. And with this division being as bunched up as it is, the problem with losing this game is the schedule that you brought up and the fact that you would lose the head-to-head tiebreaker with the Patriots. And it would allow the Patriots now to think and dream about playoffs, or dare I say the idea of winning a division. That's the frightening element in play for the New York Jets. They're coming off their bye. Their defense is playing as well as anybody. Find me a defense. Do yourself a favor. Go look around the league. Look at the last six weeks and go and tell me a defense that is playing better than the New York Jets. You're going to tell me Dallas? I saw Dallas get absolutely torched by the Packers today. A Packer team that is not any good on offense. You want to tell me the Eagles? I think Jet defense playing better than the Eagles, quite frankly. Buffalo? They got torched by Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Can Zach Wilson go and play clean football up there? That's a million-dollar question. And quite frankly, it's one I don't have an answer to because he was awful in the first Patriot game. Absolutely, positively Awful. He was much better in the Buffalo game. He plays clean football. Jets have an excellent chance to win. They're a better team talent-wise than the Patriots. They're better. They win that Patriot game. Not only are you thinking about the playoffs, the road to the AFC East, it's there. It's there for the taking. Okay, who's next? Hey, JJ. It's Lee based out in Las Vegas. Love the show. Um, like most at New York City expats, you know, I rely on uh, Red Zone. To follow, follow the Giants in this case. As I'm doing that, to my to my uh, to my surprise, to my liking, get to watch the Knicks at the same time. Love it. Um, but it was kind of poetic, right? As I put on lead pass, and I, as I'm following the Giants, I could see the hope 
that I have for the Knicks pass on to the Giants, the hopelessness I have for the Giants pass on back to the Knicks organization. You know, since the Donovan Mitchell fiasco all the way through this game, the season has just been nothing but an embarrassment. And the way I see it, this organization has three big albatrosses around its neck. Julius Randle, Tom Thibodeau, uh, and Lee Rose. There's just no way about it that those three, those three guys are standing in the way of any level of momentum moving forward within this organization. And whether the Knicks want to, want to acknowledge it or not, or maybe they're just worried in secret, they have a crossroads coming up. They have a bunch of guys who are, you know, in the third, fourth year of the contract within the, within the next season, right? You have top in you quickly. You have no idea what those guys could do playing 30 minutes a game because we have to have Fournier. We have to have Randall on the court and previously Burks using up time with those guys learning what they could do, how he could play. I mean, it's a joke at this point. I am sure there's guys sitting on the Knicks bench, uh, coaching staff sitting on the Knicks bench and throughout the league we're salivating, looking at those players going, wow, what can we do with combination X, combination Y, putting Julius on his ass and getting him 20 minutes a game so he learns how to be a teammate and just seeing what all these young guys can do, how they can run, this, that, and the other thing. We are heading towards an abyss and we're missing out on big time players, missing out on who knows what we have on our bench that Tibbs refuses to put in. It's just sad at this point. After what we saw two seasons ago to where we are now, um, I don't know. I think we all just throw our hands up and just wonder, you know, what, what happens next. And maybe it's about time Leon Rose sits in front of the, uh, sits in front of the press, answers some questions. All right, man. Love the show. Talk to you soon. Well, I appreciate that, Lee. Good luck on that happening anytime soon. That has not been a common theme over the last few years of his tenure. His presence was supposed to mean the Knicks were going to be big game hunting again. So far, the biggest free agent they've brought to this team is Jalen Brunson, who is a nice player. He's not a star. He's not a difference maker. He's not a guy that's going to take you and transform your entire field and your entire operation. Is there a frustration about some of the younger players not getting the burn on this team? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. They are really really screwed with this Randall contract. And it's not that Randall's an awful player. He's not. But do you want him here for the next couple of years at that salary, at that commitment? You don't. You don't. He's never going to be as good a player as he was two years ago when the Knicks are a 4C. Never. He's not as bad as he was last year, but he's clearly not as good as he was two years ago. Tough spot. They have built the team that to me, and we said this at the beginning of the year, if everything went right, they would what? 44 games? Max 45 games? It, that's if a lot of things went right for them. They're not trending in that direction. The defense is not there. Barrett will be fine. He gets off the slow starts every year. I'm not worried about Barrett. He's one of the few guys on his team I'm not worried about in the least. But there are other instances, yeah, I'm very concerned. And seeing Mitchell torture sucks. Seeing Murray torture sucks. And at SGA, yeah, it's a reminder, yeah, of previous regimes in Epitude. But this current regime, I mean, you're going to tell me that I got the utmost confidence that they're going to build a winner? How can you? It's tough to do. All right, last but not least, let's hear. Hey, JJ, Peter Westchester here, man. Give me a quick one for me. Super happy, 7-2 Giants. Who would have thought? Feels great. You know, not a very remarkable game, but, you know, hey, listen, good teams find ways. We found a way today. And, you know, we've talked about coaching staff all, you know, all season. And you're seeing guys step up. You know, there's there's injuries, but guys are coming in. No McKinney. 
And, you know, guys are making plays. You have that guy that came over from Buffalo, Cager kid has a touchdown. So, you know, good coaching staff. They, they coach up the guys, you know, next man up mentality. And, you know, I think it's just another tribute to, to, uh, to the coaching staff. And, you know, the Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, I guess revenge tour or redemption tour, whatever you want to call it, it continues. This guy's a total beast. So he's proven me wrong along with a lot of other Giants fans. So it's been fun to continue to watch that. And I'll just end on this note, man. Kenny Galladay, get the hell off my team. This guy, Thinks he's shot, he's washed. Guy got his money, and he just does not want to play football anymore. Those drops, the second drop was completely embarrassing. So, Kenny, don't let the door hit you on the way out, man. We're going places, and you are not a part of this team, bro. So, all right, JD, thanks. Have a good week. Yeah, I can't see Kenny Galladay having a major role, and I credit the coaching staff for giving him an opportunity today to say, "Okay, it's off a bye week. You've been out. Let's see what you can do." This was supposed to be a game where. Maybe he has a moment or two. Did none of that. And found his rear end right where it belongs, back on the bench. Can't be counting on Kenny Galladay to be making plays for you. But yeah, this coaching staff is terrific. Without McKinney, the defense still does a wonderful job. Now again, they're not going up against some primetime, big-time Texan unit. I mean, outside of Pierce, you got old man Brandon Cooks, it's the worst team in the NFL. The Texans, pound for pound, are the worst team in the NFL. Don't apologize for that. You find a way, you take the win, on to the next. And that will be the mentality, I'm sure, when we talk to the quarterback on Tuesday and when we look ahead to this Lion game on Sunday. It's not about style points. What did Al Davis say a long time ago? Just win, baby. That's it. Simple as that. Just win, baby. And the Giants are 7-2. and two. No need to apologize. So before we run around the league, and I got a lot of thoughts, a lot of musings, as we like to say. Jordan Renan, ESPN, one of my favorites. Mid-year report. I don't think either one of us had the Giants at 7-2 and two going into the week before Thanksgiving. Just saying. Jordan Renan's up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I can't believe the Giants are 7-2. and two. And Jordan Renan came on at the beginning of the year, and we were, like, cautiously optimistic that it would be better under Brian Dable They'd be far more watchable under Brian Dayball. But Jordan, be honest with me. If I Not said to you in August, the Giants are going to be seven and two, would you have called me every nasty name in the book? I think I think it'd be more believable that I tell you I get a hole in one before the idea of the Giants going seven and two and I suck at golf. <laughs> I would have said to you, did 28 other teams leave the NFL? Forfeit. That's what I would have said to you. The roster, even when you look at it today, is not the most talented roster, JJ. I mean, it really is, but they've just made magic out of what they've had, what they've had, right? They have a recipe. I mean, they pretty much do it every game. This game, even today, was close most of the afternoon. And that Texas team is terrible, by the way. They're, they're, they're terrible. I mean, they went and they got it. They got inside the Giants 30 on every possession they had in the second half. But you just knew every time they got there, they were going to implode and blow it up and mess it up. And it happened every single time except the first time they got there. So, but no, 
they just found a recipe that works. They're getting the most out of everybody that they had. Full disclosure, I had six wins for the season. So today, they hit the over. Not too shabby. Um, the coaching staff makes all the difference in the world. Brian Dable, what he's getting out of the offense. Wink Martindale, what he's getting out of the defense. You're around them every day, so I feel like you get kind of a unique look at it, Jordan. The fans don't. I don't necessarily get that same vantage point. Yeah. When was the moment for you? Was it week one against the Titans when they were like, YOLO, we're going for it, we're playing for the win? Like, that was, for me, I was like, this coaching staff is different, man, because I saw Joe Judge celebrate kicking field goals. It'd be fourth and one on the 28, and it'd be like, all right, let's get Graham Gano out there. This coaching staff, game one, they're putting their nuts right on the table saying, let's freaking go. Yeah, You're like, around them. When did when did it kind of click to you like, man, this coach got something going here? I'm not going to say week one because week one, they still probably should have lost. Yeah. It missed. Tennessee went down the field, looked like they were going to make a kick. Mike Vrabel started kneeling on the ball to make a field go longer, and you're like, all right, maybe the juju changed. Like, maybe they're going to, you know, they, they're finally going to get some of these breaks that they haven't. But uh, it wasn't until probably, who did play week two? I'm drawing a blank, but I think. Carolina. That, I think it was Carolina. Yeah. Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, week two. Uh, that you're like, oh, you know what? They're a better team than Carolina. And I thought Carolina had a more talented roster than them. And Carolina, by the way, has imploded. You know, we've seen what happened to them. They they had to fire their coach. Their quarterback's not the quarterback anymore. But the Giants were playing. Like, to me, that game, like, they went home. That was a game they had to win, right? Uh, and they did. They, they they outplayed the Panthers. Like, they were the better team on the field that day. They, they had that same formula again. Saquon Barkley, you know, uh, disciplined offensively. No turn, like, limit the turnovers. And... Wink Martindale pressure the heck out of opposing teams. And uh, to me, that was it. Like week one, I was still a little wishy-washy because Tennessee should have won that game. They they really uh and I'm I'm not and I'm not saying this to take away anything from the Giants, but remember how they outplayed the Giants terribly in that first half. And we all thought so this is gonna be the same old Giant team, right? They they were awful in the first half of that game. And Tennessee had an opportunity to really blow them out of that game, and they didn't. And then they had a chance to win it again, and they didn't. So I still wasn't completely sold. But then week two, you see the same thing again. Then we, you know, three, uh, I think three, they lost to the Cowboys. So four, five, six, you're like, okay. You know, like, they found something here. Like, Daniel Jones is comfortable in this offense. Like, they're asking, they're not asking him to go out there and win games by himself, knowing that they're not a great pass-protecting team, knowing that his weapons aren't good. So the way they utilizing utilized everybody that they had, that was impressive to me. Think about it. A year ago, you would have put the chances of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley being back for the 2023 season at like way under 20%. Both of those guys, it might even be less than that, Jordan. It might have been 10 or 5. And now right. I know you don't want to get nuts because this regime is thinking bigger picture. They're not just thinking about one year. They're thinking about three, four, five years down the road. Yeah. But with where the Giants are at, I don't think I'm crazy in saying this, right? There's a very good chance Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley are you starting quarterback and running back next year, right? That's got to be the case. The, every win they keep adding on makes it more likely. 
how can you move on from your best offensive player, Saquon Barkley, if he continues to play at this level? How can you move on from your quarterback if you keep winning, right? It's just the more the more they win, I mean, 10, 11, 12 wins, you're then going to move on from your quarterback who had a pretty good year. Like when you gave, he was playing with no weapons and still a, a below average pass protecting line. And that's a really hard thing to do. So I do think those odds are because now I'll say this. Let me tell you this about Daniel Jones. I've been, you know, leading the uh, driving the bandwagon for a while. But last year he got injured. So that was the biggest question about him, right? To me, can he stay healthy? Can you keep him healthy? And he does some things. He did, he had like an awkward slide at the end of this game and then late, late in this game today, which forced him to take a hit like near the head. Like, but when you're going down, you can't go down like that. He does things like that, makes him a little more susceptible to injury, right? Like that, that's what he brings to the table. But, he this the way he's playing this year is very similar to the way he played early last year, probably the first six or eight weeks. Then it kind of started, but the only difference is he's in a better offense. They're not asking him to do things that he can't do with what the pieces are around him. And I think you're seeing the difference. So I was high. I thought Daniel Jones coming to the season was probably like 40% chance that he made he came back. Only because there's a bunch of different scenarios. There's a one-year deal. There's there's a tag that the Giants had. There was a chance that he blew up. And we're seeing him playing very well. Now, I think the question still, this is the real question with him, right? There's a difference between is he a quality starting quarterback, right? Let's say he's the 15th best starting quarterback, like 16th best, right down the middle. He's, a, he's an NFL starting quarterback. The question is, not can he play in the NFL as he started quarterback is do you want to build around him? Right. And I think that's still the question the Giants have to answer. Do they really want to build around him? Right. Commit to him long term. Give him some kind of deal where the options there where he could be around three, four, five years down the line. I say I still think that's the question that they need to answer. Number one with him, it's the same with Saquon. Can they get through a 17 game season healthy? Oh, that's a fair question. And listen, with Jones, I ask you this. Jones has never done it in his career. Which is crazy to think about. Would he, and I can ask him this later in the year. He's not going to give me anything now, but I think at the end of the year, maybe he'd be a little bit more open with this. You know people around the league. You think no, he, no <laughs> nah, you know it. Is he going to take, though, Jordan, a two, let's say a two-year deal? Because I think he wants to stay here. I think he's very comfortable being here. Does he really want to go to a situation where, hey, I could go start next year? But I know so and so is taking a quarterback, and I'm basically under the gun immediately. That that could be the case with the Giants. But hey, at least I know the Giants. I know the coach. I know the playmakers here. I know the city, the environment. Like I, I could be wrong on this. I don't think he's getting some five, six year deal. I think he get like a two or three year deal. Would he be okay with that in your opinion? Well, you say he's not getting a five or six year deal. If he hits free agency, JJ, there's stupid teams out there. Yeah, That'll, I am neglecting that. I understand that. The I wouldn't give it to him, but that's, that's again, a different conversation. For Nick Foles, remember? Like, you already knew Nick Foles wasn't the real, like, he wasn't the guy you wanted to build around. They did it. I mean, there's there's situations like that all the time. Like, there's a lot of QB needy, team, needy teams out there. So if he does hit that market, you never know if there's a crazy team out there that's going to give it to him. Now, I don't think Joe Shane is going to, be foolish with either of these guys, by the way. Like, he understands 
where this team is at. And I, and I think it was the right move. I know people wanted him to be more active at the trade deadline. Maybe, yeah, if he could have got a veteran receiver for a late round pick, yeah, maybe that would have worked. But I, you didn't see anyone else do that, so maybe that wasn't out there, right? That wasn't an option. And so, to me, like, this team is still, they're, what they're doing is great, right? And everybody should enjoy the ride and, you know, live it up. In the, because what they're doing is great. You're seeing a lot of positive signs. And there's tremendous hope for the future because it, we, the two people we just named, the quarterback and the running back, are playing much better. The coaches are, have been unbelievable. Dexter Lawrence has been out of this world. Like, they're getting the most out of these guys. But at the same time, they're not ready to seriously compete for a Super Bowl. I think we all agree with that. And Joe Shane has kept that in mind and been very disciplined. So I expect him to be disciplined when it comes to Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley as well. Like, I can't see him just going and frivolously giving Saquon a a ridiculous deal, make him the highest paid running back of all time, and they're committed to him, let's say five years, but they're never really five-year deals. But really, you know, money-wise, committed to him for three three full seasons or four full seasons. Same with Daniel Jones. I think there's a version of the the deal that I look at with Daniel Jones is Jameis Winston. Yes, I like that. I like that. I think it was two years, 30. Now the price goes up, but the, you know, Jones probably is a little incentives, options, all that stuff. Yes. So like basically if you get a version of like two year, 40, two year, 50, I think that's the range where it would make sense for the giants. Right. Uh, fine, you can you can make it a three year deal, but if he's only if they're only real, you know, you can make it three years twenty five, but three years seventy five million for for the deal. But they're really only committed for the first two years, money wise. Like that to me is a deal that I could see them doing that would make sense for all parties involved here. Because I I don't I, I agree. I don't think Daniel Jones hits the open market and gets you know five years at. Forty million dollars from anyone, right? I mean, if they if he does, good for him. He more power to him, exactly. More player. power to him. But I don't think that's probably what the market's at. For. Um, one of the lasting remnants of the Gettleman disaster is Galladay. And look, you win the game; it was ugly. I, I give Saquon credit too because I didn't think he had that sort of tough running style, and we've seen that a bunch of different times this year, Jordan. So I wanted to make sure I noted that. But Galladay, they give him a chance to play. The guy stinks, drops a pass. Dable's like, get your ass on the bench. I can't do this anymore. Is there a chance that they just say, you know what? I know they're so needy at wide receiver, so maybe there will be other opportunities and other instances, but don't you reach a point where it's like, enough, man, inactive, sayonara, don't let the door hit you on the way out? Pretty much. I don't think we're going to see him do much. Uh, Maybe they get desperate again and they give it one more try. Uh, (laughs) Everybody, even this week, we were, I mean, I was They were trying funny. so hard, Jordan, with you guys to talk him up. Oh, he's best week of practice, the buy. I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. After one or two plays, I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All week because you're like, we're going down this road again. They had already, remember, before he got injured, they didn't want to play him. They, by their own discretion, wanted to play David Sills and, you know, uh, Richie James and all these other guys over him. So it was like, well, what changed now? He was healthy back then, too. So it really wasn't going to change. Uh, I tried to warn everyone this summer 
I think that the line I used was he, he ran with the stiffness of a mannequin, right? Uh, and which I don't think Galladay uh, like that. But when, uh, I feel I feel like he might have uh, might have got back to me here. I mean, but, I was gonna say tough luck, play better, and maybe maybe but, I don't have to write or say such things. I mean, it was so obvious from the start. I mean, uh, and now I think it's to the point where it's in his head, right? Because he wasn't a guy who ever really like who couldn't catch the ball. Like he, that's what he's become, and he admitted today that this has been the toughest, they, you know, basically moment of his of his career, and I think it's now starting to become a mental thing too. On top of the fact that he's obviously physically not the same player that he once was. I mean, he's just not. So yeah, it's a bad trick. The only thing JJ that keeps them from cutting him is if they cut him, they still owe him money next year. Nobody's going to claim him. The money's a lot. If they cut him. The money they owe him next year accelerates onto this year's salary cap. And they can't afford to do that. That's why, Jordan, they keep talking about Beckham. Like, it's a great storyline. I know Saquon was asked about it the other day. He's like, I'd love it. How, where the Giants are at, they could make the playoffs. They're not a Super Bowl team. And the salary cap. How are they getting Beckham? Like, I I keep looking at people. How is that possible? Let me explain this to you. Okay. I spoke to people about this recently. So... Odell Beckham, first of all, he's not going to sign, and Adam Schefter said today, till probably the end of this month. You're talking about a guy who's coming back. First of all, he, he joins a team in early December, right? You're talking about a guy who hasn't practiced once. He's coming off two serious knee injuries. The expectations from people I, I don't think are realistic, right? It's like at best, you're like a contributor. Like this is going to take some time to get up. So I think the likely play here with Odell is. He's going to want something where he gets a guarantee moving forward. So you're basically going to have to guarantee something next year. So it's a gamble for you have to gamble X amount of money for next year. Let's say, I don't know, he's said they're talking big numbers now that Chris Godwin and, and Mike Williams were comparisons that are used. I mean, you're talking that thing. Those guys are in like the $20 million. It's not happening for Odell. Sorry. But let's see what they can get. Maybe they can get. Not uh, six million dollars next year with another foreign incentives, and they can basically get a ten million dollar deal on the table for them. So I think that's the way you can work. That that's how it's going to play out, and that's a way to to get Odell. It's not about fitting the money in this year; it's giving him a guarantee for next year, right? So because if you think about it from his perspective, he's coming back from two serious injuries, coming back in December, January. The chances of him coming back and being able to just show out and show everybody he's awesome again in that short a period of time isn't great. But he needs he's gonna need a guarantee moving forward. And so you're you're putting money moving forward, say, okay, let's get you for the end of this year. And then they maybe throw in some incentives. I think that's what teams will have to do. Um, but don't you get the sense he wants to win though? I do, which is why I think it's actually more likely that if Odell joins the Giants that it's not this year, it would be it'd be next year. I can understand that. Because listen, this year they make the playoffs. If they want a playoff game, you should be but, dancing in the street. Like, but let's put it this way: What would you put the chances right now of the Giants winning a playoff game? Twenty percent. Well, we were going over it today. So basically, the three teams that they're most likely to face would be the winner of the NFC West, so Seattle, Seattle is San Fran, or. Tampa, the winner of the, the South, which I'm, we all, I think, believe is going to be Tampa, right? I don't like their chances to go into Tampa and win. So that's pretty low. Seattle, they just got kind of whooped in Seattle. 
and San Francisco as well would be a tough game. Uh, yeah, I mean, like 30%, 20%. Well, you're going to roll higher than me. I, went tw- I would go 20. I'll, well, I'll, I mean, I'll, AJ, how big an underdogs are they in any of those places? They play Tampa. I think they're a six and a half point dog. I was going to say five ish. Yeah, I think if they're Seattle, they played Seattle, they were three the first time. They wouldn't be three the second time. I think it'd be around four. Although I do think with Taven is during Sunday Night Football, I think the Niners are going to finish ahead of uh, Seattle. But that's a story for a different day. You know who I think they have the best chance against? And it's the team that beat Buffalo today. It's Minnesota because of Kirk Cousins in the postseason. Yeah. Uh, That'd probably be six and a half to seven, I would bet. They're going to be the two seed, right? No doubt. Probably. So they, We're they, assuming Philly, because they have the tiebreaker over Philly. Uh, Philly has the tiebreaker over them. Beat them yeah, early. Yeah, I'm assuming Philly's really good and their schedule's not that hard. Uh, so I'm assuming Philly is the one seed. That puts Minnesota as the two seed. So the Giants, I mean, the Giants are winning too many games to, to face <laughs> Minnesota early. I mean, they're seven and two, JJ. They have Detroit on deck. They, they, I, 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 I'm, I feel crazy for saying this, but 12 wins is not... No, it's like, not unreasonable. It's not like, even close to being unreasonable. And Jordan, did you... Yeah. They, they're playing Thanksgiving. Think, you know, 10, when they came out with that schedule 11, Thanksgiving... 11, but 12 is not... Like, you're not an idiot for saying 12 at this point. No, not at all. And like... It came out with the schedule. I'm like, Giants, Cowboys. I'm like, this is going to suck on Thanksgiving. Now I'm like, it's one of the best primetime games of the year, and they're going to have it on Thanksgiving with those two teams. Dude. Well, it's a game also because, like I just said, in regards to the, the seeding, right, I guess I don't know how much it really matters if you're four or five. right? Uh, yeah, the four or five. Yeah, uh, one, yeah, four or five seed, right? Does it really matter? Debatable. Not really. Debatable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, I think as long as you avoid Philly, you know what? You roll the dice, see what happens. All right, I'll leave it. Final one. Five I'll leave six. you with this. You More likely to win a playoff game this year. The Jets or the Giants? Well, the Jets have a chance to win their division now. I mean, Isn't they really do. Well, there's a I team mean, in South Florida that might have something to say about that, but that's okay. I will, I will say this, I and I'll say the Giants, because... When it comes down to it, I mean, the Jets have a formula that's working, but like, I, you need a better. The Giants have the better quarterback. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there's you. you the Jets are winning around Zach Wilson. And Daniel Jones is helping the Giants, but it's not even close when you compare the two at this point. So, I have a hard time believing the Jets in the playoffs would be able to win a game, even if it's at home, because their quarterback is very questionable. It have to be. It would have to be the right matchup, you know. Uh, and the AFC also is a better conference. So I'm going to say the Giants. They have they have the pieces that, that actually could play in the playoffs, right? They can run the ball. Their quarterback has been playing at a really high level. And their defense is, I, I can't say great, really good because they, 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 do, they, do, they do let up a lot of yards. But they're very opportunistic. Jordan Renan, don't be a stranger. It's like a mid-season check-in. I guess that's the best way to look at it. And I'm just mad that I missed the memo about the pink suit the other day in Jacksonville because you got to send me to your tailor. I will do it on SOI. I just, I got to see it pulled off properly by you first. That's all. I mean, it was very Miami Vice, I got to tell you. There's a whole big story about it. One day, one day I'll come back. I'll tell you the whole story about it. I saved that for the golf course. I was going to say, yeah. save it for the golf course, then we'll share on the podcast. The bottom line is I need, 
I need to do some sit-ups. Okay, so that's right. it. Fair that's- enough. Listen, you said it, not me. That's Jordan Renan. <laughs> he kills it over at ESPN, doing all the good stuff with the New York Giants. Thanks for a couple minutes, bud. We'll chat soon. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, so I got a couple of thoughts from the games around the league. Number one, they were begging you to bet Seattle today. And I'm going to tell Beningo this when he comes on the podcast on Thursday. They were begging you to bet Seattle. I went the other way. Now, what ensued was basically a heart attack in having Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was not an enjoyable bet today. I'm going to tell you why it wasn't an enjoyable bet. Number one, the Leonard Fournette halfback pass when you are Gashing the Seattle defense has got to be one of the dumbest play calls I've seen all year. How dumb can you be? You're gashing them. Just, just keep slamming it down the damn throats. That gave Seattle life. And then Brady is throwing the ball. They're up 12 points with five minutes ago. Run the rock. Come on. The fact that I had to sweat that game out at 12 o'clock before the 1 o'clock games even started was not good for my health, was not good for my blood pressure, was not good for my sanity. But thankfully, we got a cover. And the Buccaneers are going to make the playoffs. They're going to go 9-8. and They're not any good, but maybe they have found their footing over these last few weeks. And listen, Seattle, you knew that was going to be a spot for Seattle where they, they would do it for a clunker. Okay, that's number one. Number two, Josh McDaniels stinks as an NFL head coach. Can we acknowledge that? The amount of people praising the Raiders in the offseason for hiring Josh McDaniels was absurd to me. He was a colossal and monumental flop in Denver. Remember, they had Cutler. They had Marshall. They had a team that was competitive with Mike Shanahan. He goes there. What's his first order of business? Tim freaking Tebow. Tebow. Now he gets the Raider job. A Raider team, might I add, that went to the playoffs last year. Carr is slinging it all over the place. They go and get Devontae freaking Adams in the offseason, and they stink. They can't beat a team that just can't their coach. They're missing a ton of dudes. They got their coach off of television. And they're going and beating the Raiders. I, I say this on behalf of Jet fans, Dolphin fans, and Bills fans alike. Please, New England, whatever you do, whatever you do, hire Josh McDaniels to be the next head coach 
of the New England Patriots whenever Bill decides to walk away. Please. That would make me a very, very, very happy man. Can that be the case? He is an awful head coach. Awful. That's number two. Number three. The Rams are cooked. They had a good run. They won a Super Bowl. They went all in. It was worth it. The Rams are cooked. They lose to Cole McCoy and Cliff Kingsbury. And not exactly a, a, a roaring endorsement of Kyler Murray when your offense looks better with Cole McCoy. You know, I actually ended up getting involved with that game today. Didn't give it out, but I got involved. That was the sort of game to me. When I saw Kyler Murray was out, I was nervous about the bet. I'm not going to lie. I was legitimately nervous about the bet. And I know the Wolf of Wall Street ended up playing quarterback for the Rams. But McCoy was competent. The Rams this year are doing nothing. They're not making the playoffs. They're not finishing ahead of Niners with taping this during Sunday Night Football, might I add. They're not finishing ahead of Seattle. This is an off year for them. And I wonder if Donald and I wonder if McVay have serious doubts about deciding to come back this year. McVay could have went to Amazon. Donald could have walked off the hero. They come back, they're not getting that hero's type of year. Okay. My other big takeaway today. I got a whole lot of receipts. From Chris Sims to Michael Lombardi uh, to Bill Simmons to Eagle Eye Picks to Bob Riggio. I mean, do I need to continue? Do I need to continue? Was it, was it all yak today? Was that it? Was, that, was it all yak today? As my quarterback is torching the Cleveland Browns, fresh off a of bye week, fresh off a win where they smoked the Cincinnati Bengals, and it wasn't Tyreek, and it wasn't Jalen Waddle, it was Sherfield and Wilson. Tua is playing like an MVP. Put respect on a damn name. Put respect on it. He is playing like a freaking MVP. He's confident. He's full of swag. He's basically running the Showtime Lakers, baby. He's conducting at that line of scrimmage. They smoked the Browns today. You know, they gave up a touchdown in the opening possession. Miami didn't punt. Didn't freaking punt. I said it a week ago. I will say it again. This is the most excited I've been for my team ever since the days of Marino. So it might as well be ever because it's 20 years. I am so stoked about my football team. I'm mad they're on a bye week. I'm glad I will be there in two weeks to see him in person. Cannot freaking wait. What a year for my quarterback. Just keep him in bubble wrap. That's all I'm going to say. Just keep him in bubble wrap. Some big games away. Niners, Chargers. That, I may even have to go up to Buffalo, which will probably be a big mistake because I'm going to freeze my ass off. And, and those fans are going to be a pain in the ass. But I am thinking about it. I am not going to lie. I am thinking about it. All right. So now I was able to... Uh, As you can tell, quite happy. Very, very, very happy. Okay. Now, trivia time. It was embarrassing last week. Now it's time to rock and roll. It's time to uh, bounce back with a vengeance. Larry, you're going to be very, very tough on me because my football team embarrassed yours, and I know you're going to be in a very salty mood. So what do you got for me, pal? Yeah, Jay, Larry, here's a couple for you. In Roy Halliday's NLDS no-hitter, one man 
reached base for Cincinnati with a walk, who was it? Second question is, who's the youngest guy in Major League Baseball to win the MVP? I'm out. All right, I'm starting with the holiday no-hitter. One guy walked in the game. 2010, Cincinnati Reds were the opponent. You know, Stefan, I'm not positive about this, but I'm going to take a stab here. Is it Brandon Phillips? Mm. Right, church, wrong pew. He was without a doubt on that 2010 Cincinnati team, but not the guy who walked. Um, would you say, Stefan, this is a household name? Uh, kind of a household name. I wouldn't say a household name, but a popular player. Was a popular player. I won't say household name. I don't think like nine out, like if you walked anywhere in the world and asked this guy's name, people would know it, but he's pretty, he, he's well known. I wouldn't say household though, if that makes sense. Well known. Okay. Well known. 2010. Cincinnati Reds. See, it's just so hard keeping track of the teams, you know, because like, you know, Joey Votto's there. I knew Brandon Phillips was there, but like, oh, I think I know this. I could be wrong, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take a stab here. Is it Scott Rowland? Mm. It's a good guess. I don't even know if he was on a 2010 team. I do know he ended up playing with the Reds. Uh, I'm, I'm going to allow you, Stefan, to give me a hint here. This guy, um, in the later section of his career, played for the Mets and the Yankees, if I could be, if I if my memory serves me correct. I believe he played for both New York teams in the later stage of his career. Yes, he did. He played for the Mets and the Yankees after 2010. After. Just confirming that. That's, That's correct. That's correct. That's a good hint. I like that. I like that because it keeps it local here on New York. New York. Red played for the Yanks. Played for the Mets. Hmm. Oh, I know. Is it the Todd father? Mm. Oh, man. I felt good about that, Stefan. I mean, that would have applied. Yankees and Mets, just saying, that would have applied. Yes, Frazier, Frazier is a good guess. Another guy who both who played for the Yankees and the Mets in the, in the late portion of his career. Oh, man. I felt so good about that. I love that the was- Todd Father, by the way. Yeah, I, we got to get him on the show. Jersey, Tom's River, got to respect. I'm taking one more guess at this, and I'm waving the white flag. Yankee and Mets. Late in his career. Kelly Johnson. I mean, listen, the guy played for a zillion teams. It was worth the guess. Oh, who was it, Stefan? Jay Bruce. Ah, yeah. You know what, man? I'm annoyed about that one. You want to know why? He was a household name with the Cincinnati Reds. I like, you know, Stefan, honestly, I tried to blank out. The Jay Bruce chapter with the New York Yankees that lasted like a week and a half. So maybe that was like <laughs> me subliminally just trying to forget about the fact that yes. Jay Bruce was a New York Yankee. Yes. And actually had a decent, came to the Mets and was awful. Following year, he ended up being good and then they ended up trading him to the Cleveland uh, Indians at the time. Okay. So one trivia that I want to go. 
The other is as follows. The youngest player to ever win the MVP award. Youngest MVP. Is it Mookie Betts? <laughs> it is not Mookie Betts. Okay. He did win an MVP, but it was not the Mook still. Okay. Okay. It's not A-Rod because he didn't win it till later in his career. Is it Mark McGuire? <laughs> is not uh, Big Mac. Is it Gary Sheffield? <laughs> All right. Clearly, I am uh, I, I'm continuing my uh, level of futility that we had last week with the trivia. You got to guide me and steer me in the right direction here, Stephon, please. I'm, I'm going to say you are in the wrong era. This guy played... I'm in the wrong era. Okay. Yeah, this guy played a long time ago. Um, he actually is an MVP and a Cy Young Award winner. Um, so it's a picture. I'll okay. Give you that. You, it's a picture. And this happened in... I got to give you this one. People might give say this decades. is a layup. Give me the, give me the this decades. Is the, he played in the 70s and the 80s. More notably known in the 70s. 70s and 80s. I was going to guess Roger Clemens, but clearly that is out. 70s and 80s. He won the MVP and he won the Cy Young. He was the youngest to ever win the MVP. Oh, man. Larry really tried to screw me. I think that's what happens when the Dolphins score 40 on the Browns. I think that's what it boils down to. Hall of Famer, Stefan? Ironically, this guy is not a Hall of Famer. Oh, this is... I am so screwed on this. I am so screwed. Is it Vita Blue? I think he's in the Hall of Fame anyway. Oh, how about that? I am shocked. I actually thought Vita Blue might have been in the Hall of Fame. That was such a random. You want to talk about pulling a guest completely out of my rear end? That, that is exactly what I did right there. Wow. Hey, hey, listen. He did it at 21. He won the Cy Young and MVP in his third year in, in, in the league. That That's kind of crazy. I'm not going to lie. That That's a hell of a that's a hell of a stat. It, for him to be a not in the Hall of Fame is a whole nother question. But, yeah. Good one, Jay. Good one. Absolutely fantastic job all the way around. I mean, you could have given me a hundred guesses. I wouldn't have gotten it. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. What can I say? All right, we'll wrap it up with the money man. Money, what's on the card for Monday? Up, JJ. Just money here at Handicapper Picks. It'll be tomorrow, Monday the 14th. Now, you already know my play on Monday Night Football. I'm going to roll with the Eagles at the line on the line from the contest line. The line is minus 11 over the commanders. So, again, I'm going to go with the Eagles. Minus 11, as far as the uh, 4 o'clock game, which are going on right now. We'll see if you got one with me, and you got uh, one against me. We'll see how that goes. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go. And as we tape this, Jeff Money, uh, my Niner bet is not looking particularly good against Beningo. I want the clean sweep. We had Seattle-Tampa. We had Dallas-Green Bay. I want to gain three games on our buddy and our pal, Mr. Joe B. So we see how that will unfold. I will go heads up with you on Monday night. I think it's too many points. I will be on the commanders. The C-words, I will be grabbing the 11 points. I don't love the game, but it's a Monday night game, and I'm clearly not sitting it out. So, fun week in store. The week before Thanksgiving, and Jets, Pats, 
is going to take center stage. I don't think there's any question. We'll have Daniel Jones on Tuesday. Looking forward to having him back on the show. Heard he was in the building all last week. He'll love hearing that. The guy's a gamer. He wants it. Your Giants are 7-2. and two. Jets are playing a monster game. Listen, it's, it's fun around here from a New York football perspective. A whole lot of fun around here. And no baseball on this show. Maybe maybe something will happen between now and uh, and Tuesday or Thursday. Who the hell knows? Until then, JJ signing off. Great work by Stefan. We out. Be good, everybody. <laughs>